0: Welcome back to the For Your Best Self podcast. Dr. Rebecca Novo, plastic and reconstructive surgeon, part of the Best Self family, and I'm very excited to be back in the studio talking about something that is a popular demand both in patients asking from both injectable clinics and surgical clinics. I'm gonna be talking about aging eyes and mainly hitting home the main differences between lower eyelid bags versus festoons, uh, why they happen, the biggest differences, and how we address both with different tools, surgical and non-surgical. Uh, for the past two years, you know, luckily we're coming out of masks, but we've all been wearing masks. So the eye area has been what we've all been looking at for the past two years more than ever. Um, and it is one of the most uh, noticeable aging features of the face. Um, you know, it's the first thing we see when we look at someone or meet someone. So it's a popular topic. It's one of the top top requested and performed uh, consults and surgeries and plastic surgery and addressing the aging eye in our aesthetic clinics as well. So whenever I see a consult for aging eyes, it's really important for me to do a little bit of education. And this is going to be a very visual talk. So I would recommend um, I'll describe what we're looking at in the pictures as well. Um, But I really do encourage you to pull this one up on YouTube for some great pictures worth a thousand words. So we have some really great visuals to describe the differences in anatomy. Um, To start off, when I see there's multiple layers from both skin, muscle to bone that age the eye area, there are factors that play into the aging eye like genetics, chronic sun exposure, lifestyle, allergies. So there are some things that we can control and some things we cannot control. So from a superficial level, we always talk about aging skin is going to contribute to the aging eye, whether that be forehead laxity that creates a heavy brow to upper eyelid skin that creates excess skin that hangs over the upper eye or eyelashes, lower lid skin. Uh, Anytime that we age and we have decreased skin elasticity, um, we're going to have visible signs of aging. So on the most superficial level, we can address skin with skin removal, whether that's a brow lift or an upper blepharoplasty or a component of the lower blepharoplasty. But it's not just skin. Deep to the skin, you have muscular layers. Uh, the frontalis muscle lifts and raises the forehead, so we might get lax there and lower the brow. Um, even though patients come in talking about eyelids, we always have to say teach and mention about the eyebrow because raising the eyebrow does improve the aesthetic of the overall eye area it is a component of that if you kind of think of your Jackie O sunglasses we don't want to just address one part of the aging eye we really want to talk about and address the whole like my big eye like my big glasses the whole orbital unit aesthetic unit Um, So then the upper eyelid, you know, has mainly we're addressing skin laxity and sometimes fat pads. Um, Mainly it's the medial fat pad of the upper eyelid that we're reducing if needed, if there's a bulge there. Uh, But getting into the lower eyelid and cheek area, which is the main topic of this conversation, is the eyelid bags versus festoons. So everyone has anatomically and if you look at this um, first picture here this beautiful model the first circle um, which is right under the lower eyelid lashes um, everyone has three fat compartments and this exists in everyone they degree uh, vary in um, sizes depending on aging and genetics Uh, but everyone is going to have this medial and central and temporal fat some patients have One area that's really prominent, some have all three. It's not that they're necessarily growing or enlarging with weight gain or aging, it's more or less that your camouflage is decreasing. Um, And I'll get to the layers that affect the visibility or the prominence of these three fat pads. So everyone has these three fat pads, um, but from the skin stretching and becoming a little bit more lax as our as we age all the connective tissue or springiness from the skin and subcutaneous tissue in our bodies softens or weakens. So we all have an orbital septum or connective tissue layers that almost act like an internal corset or girdle for these fat pads and as we age that relaxes or weakens. So that's when we might get bulging of these three fat pads. So on top of skin, laxity, deeper connective tissue laxity, these fat pads might become more prominent. And then we know as we age, uh, we have excellent studies of x-rays and CTs of the bony structure of the face. Um, If you push right on the uh, cheekbone or the apple of your cheek, um, we know over time that those bones shrink and recede um, from front to backwards. So not only do we lose really good fat camouflage that we say descends or falls, it shrinks. The camouflaging fat shrinks and descends. And also, the really good prominent cheekbones or bony support and camouflage shrinks as well. So you kind of get a falling away of the camouflage and more visibility of those three fat pads. Um, and then lower down, more on the apple of the cheek there, is where we... Some patients see what we call as festoons. Festoons are a little bit more complicated because um, of the sponginess or nature of that tissue. There really is typically a component of edema or swelling or just fluid trapped in those tissues. So, a little bit of it is skin laxity, so just general aging of the skin. Um, if you take your uh, hand and make a fist and you hold it up to your eye, that's about the size of the orbicularis oculi muscle. It's like a pancake, a very, very thin pancake muscle. Um, It's where we commonly target Botox for crow's feet. Um, So I'd encourage you to look at a a picture or envision this sheet-like muscle. And like all our other connective tissues, in time, laxity occurs with that muscle. So skin laxity, muscular laxity, bony shrinking and also a component of inflammation or crom- chronic edema from lymphatics or higher inflammatory states such as chronic allergies, that adds a layer to this chronic bag look over the cheek, which is we f- refer to as a festoon. Again, in an aging eye, some patients might have one of these or they might have all of these components. So it's really important in the assessment to see what's going on with the aging eye and then what tools can we bring in uh, to correct it. Um, You know, obviously a lot of patients are aware of fillers. Can fillers correct this? And that would depend. And filler, we usually advise is really either gonna restore that bony camouflage to kind of lift and redrape. It's not gonna reduce fat pads. It's not gonna tighten skin. It's not going to reduce edema and often can sometimes compound or uh, increase edema if that is a component of your aging eyelid. So we're really using that to restore volume, redrape tissues. Um, but it's really important to ultimately have a conversation if okay, surgery is going to give you the result you're looking for versus refilling with fillers. Fillers are outstanding for tear trough deformity, which is really kind of the line between bags and festoons where someone might be hollow or have a loss of tissue. So I love this first picture um, because this model perfectly demonstrates the areas of lower bags um, versus festoons. Now, if skin is significantly lax, we'll talk about on a superficial level, Sometimes we need to surgically remove that um, as well as sculpt or reduce the fat pads. Uh, But sometimes we can, if skin laxity is not dramatic, we can do the surgery through the inside of the eye, sculpt and reduce those fat pads and use some resurfacing to tighten the skin. Whereas festoons... um, can sometimes be complicated by surgery because if there is a chronic component of edema or swelling or inflammation, surgery can exacerbate or worsen that. Uh, But understanding what's causing the festoon on an anatomic level can really help us bring in the right tools. So often with festoons, uh, we start conservatively or I encourage uh, lymphatic massage, which could be at home gua sha. There's great tutorials on um, gua sha self-lymphatic massage, which is going to help decrease the edema or the swelling component. Um, sometimes it's a matter of medicine, antihistamines, things like that, if chronic allergies are a component. And often it's skin tightening, whether that's resurfacing or radiofrequency microneedling. And the technology of radiofrequency microneedling continues to improve to a point where we nearly have a non-surgical Bluffaroplasty on the horizon, where we are going to have a deeper tool that can shrink fat pads in these three fat pad compartments that we've reviewed um, to be almost an incisionless Bluffaroplasty. So that is on the pipeline, which is really exciting. Um, But I love this first picture because it clearly demonstrates where we're speaking on fat bags anatomically versus festoons on the cheek. And to address the festoon surgically, maybe more of a cheek lift or um, you know lifting, redraping that pancake muscle, the orbicularis oculi, to help support the, that tissue laxity. Oftentimes, as well, uh, during uh, lower blepharoplasty, uh, we'll harvest some fat from somewhere else, often the tummy, and add that uh, to where we're volume deficient to also refill and redrape the tissues nicely. Um, the next picture that we're going to bring up, um, it looks like a little chart here, um, is just kind of a comparison of lower eyelid bags versus festoons. In general, both are caused by aging, uh, which is mostly control of genetics and general health, and uh, photoaging or sun damage, smoking. Um, and then the biggest difference is truly location and cause. Um also to help distinguish the difference with the two is festoons are usually kind of boggy or spongy, and that speaks to, or compressible, if you push your finger down on your cheek and you can almost kind of hold and make it go away, that really speaks to the degree of just chronic congestion or inflammation or fluid that's there. Um, if that component is significant, um, surgery can has a higher chance of worsening or exacerbating and really not resolving that if it's a true tissue is just chronically congested with fluid, so that's more where we'd want to get into our non-invasives and more circulatory improvement. So I think that's a big and imp- uh, an important differenti- differentiation point uh, between how they feel, whereas fat pads are going to be more firm and kind of springy. Um, versus uh, the festoons, which are more spongy or soft. Um, if you have a moment to look at the next picture, I love this. I think everybody, um, maybe I'm just a science nerd, but I think everyone would get a kick out of looking at the facial muscles. Um, again, this demonstrates really well that kind of circular pancake uh, muscle that goes around the eye. It affects our eye closing, Um And in combination with that frontalis muscle, which runs from our eyebrows up into our scalp and our hairline, that's the eyebrow razor. And, you know, through time and use, that's going to stretch or attenuate and inevitably some degree of um, brow lowering is going to occur. Um, if you feel your orbital bone or the circular bony structure around your eye, a useful eyebrow is usually considered, or the, the hair-bearing part of the eyebrow is usually considered at least at or above that bony prominence. So you can kind of do a little self-exam or self-assessment. If that uh, hair-bearing part of the brow is at least at or above, I usually don't recommend any surgical intervention. I always like to talk about it as part of part of the aging eye if that hair bearing part of the brow is below the bony portion or the structural support of the eye um, a lower blepharoplasty um, will not affect that and often patients will say you know I want to remove this skin above my eyelids but to some degree removing you You can only remove a certain amount of the upper eyelid skin before you'll inevitably pull that brow down further, which is the opposite effect. We don't want to close in the eye area even more. So some patients, I will recommend a brow lift where we surgically lift the muscle and the skin to re-raise that eyebrow. Um, It is a harder scar to hide. That's why it's less favorable. And we are exploring thread lifts and less invasive um, avenues to raise that brow. Um, The next picture, if you can look, just shows a nice black and white schematic of those fat compartments. Um, This is in everyone anatomically. You see it in babies. You see it in adults. It just becomes more... Uh, apparent as the tissue and the camouflage thins and fall away. So through surgically, we can access through um, these three fat compartments. If they're highly visible, we can make an incision underneath the eyelash line, which uh, slightly higher risk of scar tissue. Um, this would be if the skin laxity is significant, we need to remove some of that skin surgically. Oftentimes I prefer under general anesthesia not in the office, um, going through the inside of the eye. Um, that's a scarless lower blepharoplasty, where you can equally safely access these three fat compartments, sculpting carefully, reducing them, not removing them entirely because that will tend to make patients look hollow or more skeletonized. So we want to very precisely reduce these and often add fat um, grafting to the tear trough and Uh, restore that camouflage um, from fat, other fat loss and bony shrinkage. So the last photo here is another, it's a really nice cartoon referencing the incisions of upper and lower blepharoplasty. Um, The upper blepharoplasty, it's very essential. I tell patients in every consultation, the worst thing I can do for you is remove too much skin. So we take a lot of time precisely removing what is exactly redundant or extra. You should be able to close your eye without a gap. Um so that we don't create corneal dryness or ulceration. Everyone has a protective reflex called the Bell's reflex that we look for in examination. When you close your eyes, your actual cornea or visual surface rotates up and out. It's a protective reflex to protect our vision, our uh, eyesight. So we want to make sure that's intact. A history of dry eye is important, Uh, but most importantly, it is the surgeon's responsibility to remove uh, what I call Goldilocks, just right. Not too little, not too much. Uh, knock on wood, I've never had to put skin back. Once or twice, I've had to remove a little bit extra if we had some fullness redundancy that uh, me and the patient weren't happy about. But it really is about getting that redundancy right and concealing the scar or incision to the best of our ability within the with the eye open and the natural lid crease. So this cartoon kind of shows you an uh, estimated shape. Um, that is Most commonly, a skin-only procedure that can be done safely and comfortably in the office. Occasionally, some patients will have uh, a medial upper eyelid fat pad prominence or bulge that we do need to reduce or sculpt, um, which is a little bit more vascular. Um, So that may or may not make you a candidate for in-office blepharoplasty or not. Uh, But we'll very commonly do the upper eyelids in the office with local anesthesia, often in combination with some lower lid resurfacing or facial resurfacing. As a rule, I do lower blepharoplasty under anesthesia in our outpatient surgery center. Some surgeons will do that in the office, it's not something we currently offer. Uh, Because you're entering the orbit and just deeper structures, um, I want heart rate, blood pressure, everything meticulously controlled, patients are more comfortable, Uh, we have all the tools. So once we're talking about lower eyelid surgery, um, that really does tip the scale to where you'll be in an outpatient surgery center. Um, but not everybody needs lower blepharoplasty surgery. It really is best um, discussed in an in-person consultation so we can look and feel your tissues. Um, If you are not open to surgery, um, which plenty of patients aren't, they can't tolerate healing time, recovery, time off from work, um, it doesn't mean that you're not a candidate for fillers or some of the less invasive approaches. It's our job to tell you what will give you the best results and then tell you other options if surgery is not uh, for you. We can always, research, most, most patients benefit from some degree of resurfacing. That's where our CO2 or heterochemical peel are really the best tools for skin tightening. Um, injectables can accomplish skin tightening, uh, but that's where resurfacing in combination with skin care can help rebuild that elasticity. Um, if even a week of healing from resurfacing is not for you, then we do have the microneedling. And On the Pipeline is a new tool uh, that can as I mentioned, treat under the skin for fat pad reduction and uh, stronger skin tightening. So we are very excited about um, getting that tool and putting it to use to have a even stronger non-surgical eyelid uh, surgery option. Uh, But I really encourage you to uh, listen to this, take time and look at the pictures, or you can Google the images uh, kind of at your own convenience as well. Um, It really, not that you have to be an anatomist, um, but I do think it is important to just kind of understand the layers And not complexity, but the different tools that we have and what layers need to be addressed um, in different patients. Um, But I do think this is a nice comprehensive review of um, what goes into the aging eye um, and some of the tools that we can use to address it. Um, we have some great skincare products, uh, mainly by the uh, Elastin brand, which excel in improving skin elasticity. Um, I always say, if you do nothing, you know at least you can do your homework and do skincare. Um, there's a obviously there's some things we can't control, like genetics. Uh, but we can, we want to control what we can control, which is doing a little bit of work on our end with skincare, care. Uh, basically, you know, giving our garden that fertilizer and nutrition that it needs um, to be healthy. Um, and then check us out if you're not a patient. We are accepting new consultations for both injectables and surgical patients. Um, Let us know if there's any more topics of interest. Uh, I hope this was educational and gives you a little insight into the aging eye and mainly the difference between lower eyelid bags and festoons. Um, Thank you for listening and we'll catch you soon in now the Vieira office or our new beachside location on Fifth Avenue. Um, We're doing cosmetic consults in both locations, Um, so give us a call. Thanks for listening.